You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. And gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. That was lightweight, man. Easy work. Warm-up round. I, As cocky as I was, I was holding a lot of stuff back. There were so many times I wanted to tweet stuff, and I'm like, man, I'm going to look so stupid if that doesn't happen. Just cool it, see what happens. I should have just said this stuff. I mean, I listen, I kind of touched on it a little yesterday when I said the Rams are kind of the one team that really don't belong in the playoffs right now. And they didn't. You've got two teams. The Rams are good, right? If you put them in the regular season, they're an above-average team. You put them in the playoffs, though, against teams like the Packers, they don't belong in that conversation. They just don't. And I think it remains to be seen about some of these other teams because when you get in the playoffs, what are we seeing? We're not really seeing domination. I mean, you know, Washington got beat pretty bad, but they don't belong. I mean, they really, really don't belong. They legitimately should not have been in the playoffs. The the Rams belong in the playoffs. They're just a lower tier. But Buffalo's, uh, you know, let's just say Buffalo hasn't been quite as impressive. Nearly losing to the Colts might have lost to Baltimore had there not been that concussion. I mean, probably not. But have it, I'll admit, I didn't see the end of the game or even the second half of the game or whatever. But it sounds to me as though there was a pick six followed by Lamar's out for the rest of the game, which kind of just ended the game. But make that seven points and Lamar doesn't go out, you know, I'm just saying. Kudos to Buffalo's defense, which, as I've said, has, has uh, you know, taken some strides. But... Uh, I don't know. If I'm, if, if I'm a Buffalo fan, I'm looking at this going, what happened to this really good team that we had? Remember how the whole thing about last year, their offense wasn't very good, and it's why they couldn't get anywhere, but their defense was really good, and now it's like, yay, our defense is good too, just like the Packers and some other teams. Hey, we finally got a defense now. The offense isn't showing up. I'm sorry, I watched it. It wasn't that impressive. I watched half of it. It doesn't matter. I mean, I know Rodgers missed some passes, but oh my goodness. We're talking like 10-yard overthrows. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens in these games. I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what the Chiefs can do. Um, Cleveland's no joke. And if if Kansas City can be the same old Kansas City, they should be able to pull out a win. But if, if they're coming out a little bit flat-footed, Cleveland might do some work. And Tampa and New Orleans, I think Tampa needs to prove that they can beat a quality opponent. Again, I know they beat the Packers. But outside of the Packers absolute in-season bi-week implosion, which is becoming an annual tradition. Apparently postseason bi-week implosion is not a thing, but that clearly remains to be seen. But, I mean, you look at teams like the Seahawks, they couldn't hang with the Rams, the Rams can't hang with the Packers. I mean, even when you look at the Buccaneers, which is maybe the one kind of dominant performance, I guess, it's 31-23. The Packers did a better job against the Rams than the Bucks did against Washington. Titans couldn't beat the Ravens who couldn't beat the Bills. The Saints, again, they beat the Bears, but 21-9, to you scored 21 points? I mean, the Buccaneers have a better defense than the Bears. They better figure something out, because 21 points ain't going to cut it. Again, kudos to your defense, 9 points for the Bears, you know, that's impressive. Even though it's the Bears, 
kudos, but st- I mean, it's just, it's not good enough. And this is kind of what I've been talking about for a while where, you know, you look at last year, the Packers had talent. They had things that we loved about them, but there were other teams that you just felt were on a different tier. And now it kind of feels like Packers are that team that are on that other tier. You know, and I think if Rams fans were honest instead of being so arrogant this whole past week, they would have looked at it similarly to the Packers, the way they should have looked at it going into that 49ers game saying, I mean, there's a chance and we're a good team, but I just don't know if we're on that level. But no, we got the national media pumping them up. I almost feel sorry for Rams fans. They've been getting puffed up by the by the media telling them how good they are how great their defense is how great Jalen Ramsey is they don't even know Jair Alexander's name which by the way that's one of the things that I was tweeting and I actually deleted was you know the last time that we played in Lambeau we were told that Derrick Henry was going to be a monster and he was going to be unstoppable and instead A.J. Dillon took over that game this week in Lambeau we're told that the Rams defense is part of the reason is how do you condense this for Twitter but I just didn't want to say it either way but the Rams defense was supposed to be the dominant union I was going to say I can't wait for the Packers to prove that they're actually the better defense today and I think they were I mean it wasn't perfect but it's hard to argue (laughs) that the Packers defense was far and away better against the Rams than the Rams were against the Packers. They were better at playing the ball. They were better in coverage. They were better at pressure by far. You could say, I mean, against the run, it was kind of, I don't know. I think both teams ran the ball pretty successfully. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be curious to see if the Packers get any credit going into the NFC Championship game or not. Um, I would bet not. I uh, I think the narrative is already starting to shift. It went from, I don't know how the Packers are going to overcome this defense to, well, you know, the Rams just really weren't very good and and you look at I mean look at how the game ended they were already blaming it on Aaron Donald was on a limited snap count which by the way they were also lying about that and I tried to tell you that oh no they're saying Aaron Donald's fine no he's not fine I promise you he's not fine he's in a lot of pain oh no he's fine he they said before the game he's not even in any pain that was a lie and then by the end of the game what are they saying well Aaron Donald was hurt so I mean you know (laughs) shut up dude Listening to you talk all week about the Packers can't do it, then the Packers do it better than just about anybody all season, and it's just excuses right away. The only credit I heard was was one of the announcers at the end of the game saying, wow, maybe the Packers really are just that good. You think, genius? They've been doing this all year. I don't, I don't even know. I don't think they watch football, dude. I mean, I don't, I don't have the luxury of watching all the football games, but I would assume because it's their full-time job that they would watch all the games and have a general idea. And even if not, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you don't even notice what's going on. I mean, is this just like your job and you, you kind of like everybody else where you do your job and then you go home and you just tune out your job? Like when I go home, I don't think about the hospital. And I don't like when people ask me. My wife has stopped asking me how it was work. I mean, for the most part, occasionally once in a while. But I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know because I literally shut that part of my brain off. I'm wondering if these these folks do the same thing. Hey, you want to watch the game? Like, no, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk work right now, okay? I, I got to deal with football all day at work. I just don't feel like it. But even so, don't you have like an eight-hour-a-day job where you talk about football and learn about what's going on? I don't know how you're this bad at your job, I guess is my, my point. Wow, maybe the Packers are that good. What did you think? And I don't know what the obsession is with with trying to convince ourselves the Packers aren't as good as they clearly are. Well, they haven't played anybody. Neither have the Rams. Neither have the Bucks. Neither have the Saints. Neither have the Chiefs, really. I mean, the Chiefs kind of played about four or five good teams and beat them all. But I, who has? 
it's just weird. And again, it's it, it didn't used to be this way. It used to be almost the exact opposite, where the Packers could do no wrong. And I just, I, I think, I don't know, I probably not necessary to super try to hyperanalyze this, but I just feel like the media is very slow with stuff, and, and, and kind of the fan base in general, but I think a lot of their information comes from the media. It's part of the reason why it's so hard to do a podcast, and especially hard on YouTube, because people will trash me for stuff because of what they're being told, especially about their own teams. Like when I started saying Patrick Queen isn't good, people lost it. And then slowly the media came around to the fact that he's not doing very well, and now people don't trash me for that. Now you should go see the comment section about what I say about the Steelers' wide receivers. They can't handle it. They're losing their minds. We, we, we have, somebody told me we have three number one wide receivers. Are you out of your mind? You don't have one. But that's not the narrative. The nat- And it was funny because I had heard in the comment section people say stupid stuff like we just need a running back to win. And then I heard literally somebody on the national stage, a sports reporter person saying, man, they're just one running, oh, I think it was a podcast, saying, you know, they're a running back away. And I'm like, this is where they hear this garbage from. These idiots on these podcasts and on television, on ESPN and everything else, saying this stuff, and then the fans hear it and they believe it. If for some random reason there's a Steelers fan listening to this, they're lying to you. A running back is not going to fix your team. I'm all for it. If you want to take Najee Harris in the first round, I'm all for it. It's not going to fix your team. But I, I just tend to think they're really slow. It's why they're still talking about 2019 when they're trying to analyze what's happening. They're so obsessed with history which has no bearing on what's going on right now. I mean, very little. There might be trends, but but at the very least, those trends have to still be in existence. In other words, if the trend includes Mike McCarthy, it doesn't count, unless there's some reason why it would still be happening. There has to be some tie for the... That's why when I do things like trends, which I do on occasion, it has to be... Like, I, I don't go all the way back to the team's history. I looked at during the Goff era, or during the Rogers era, or during the McVay era, or the LaFleur era, because those trends matter. When I'm asking the question, how are the Rams going to perform in cold weather? I only care about how well Goff has done in cold weather. I don't care what prior quarterbacks with different coaches have done in cold weather. It's irrelevant. There might be a broader question of how do warm weather teams do, but that could vary from person to person. They're just they're just bad at their job. Is all there is to it. And, and and again, it just makes the victory all that more sweet. I mean, there's no reason why the Packers shouldn't have won this game and everyone shrugs and goes, yeah, that's what we expected. But instead, they got treated like the underdogs and now everyone's just shocked. And they're in awe of how great the Packers are. And so we get a little extra fluff this week. And it, you know, it happened on a national stage. I don't, you know, the, the Titans game was during the regular season. So maybe not everybody watched it. Granted, it was the late game, but I mean, you know. I probably wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't a Packers game because it's too late. I, I don't know. I don't know why people don't know. Right? It's like I, I don't know why people say the defense isn't good if you just watched the Packers keep the Tennessee Titans to 14 points. And so I, I think, and, and I can I can respect it from a fan standpoint because if you're a fan, you, you have you have shorthand, right? There's there's team shorthand and there's there's these little narratives that you just hold on to and that's how you define a team. But unless you're just immersed in it, like people like me are all day long because I have to be, you, you, you wouldn't know. And that's fine, but the fact that the media is using shorthand, dude, that's that's not okay. And so look, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is the Packers were clearly the better team. Uh, you had a, let's just say, a top five offense against a top five defense. I think the number one thing was for headlines. I don't know that that was necessarily the truth. Depending on how you slice it up, you could put it that way. But the, the completely underrated narrative is that this is a, also a top five defense and a top five defense. The only phase of the offense between offense and defense that sucked was the Rams' offense, and 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 look, they they looked pretty good. I mean, Goff was not off at all. 
I don't know what he was doing during these bad PFF grades, but you could even hear the announcer saying, like, this does not look like what we've seen from Goff recently. The passes were crisp, they were on point, they were accurate. So, you know, as much as we want to sit back and say they shouldn't have allowed the Rams to do as well as they did, they're a bad offense, the bad offense didn't really show up today. This was a good version of the Rams' offense. And that happens, right? Good quarterbacks have bad days. Bad quarterbacks have good days. Even Trubisky had some good days. They're few and far between, but it happens. And it sucks when your defense catches that that side of it, but it happens. The, the point is, though, when you get their best, and I think in the playoffs you should expect the team's best, you got to be able to overcome it, and boy, did they. You know, I mentioned how Goff has been one of the worst quarterbacks in football down the stretch because his week 15, 16, and in the wildcard game, his grades were 54, 53, and 47. That's horrible. He's also got a 35, a 37, and a 47 mixed in. But the rest of his grades, 77, 86, 85, he's got an 82, a 78, and a 70. He's got some really good games mixed in. So it's not like he's just garbage all the time. He has some really, really quality games. Not on the level of Aaron Rodgers, but we're talking really high-level quarterback play. The reason he's averaging out as one of the worst quarterbacks in football is because he, when he implodes, he plays some terrible football. And I'm saying this isn't one of those games. We'll see what the official grade is um, when when the time comes. But um, I would be stunned if it's anywhere near what he has been the last three weeks. I think he had closer to a week 14 than 15, 16 in wild card. And while we're sitting here, I want to point something else out because I, it dawned on me yesterday when I was listening to Sean McVay. They were doing these interviews, and obviously Sean and Matt know each other, and they were asking Sean about Matt, and they talked about. I think they asked him, what is it about Matt that, that is so good or whatever? And it was he said something to the effect of, it's his amazing attention to detail. You know, Sean McVay is kind of this, I mean, he's, he, obviously he's really talented. He's really smart. He's kind of a wild card guy. But I think the way that they view it is, is Matt's kind of a nerd, right? Whereas is Sean is sort of the wild card, fun, party guy. Matt LaFleur is all business. And he's really rocket scientist smart. You know, even when you got Aaron Rodgers, who is kind of arrogant about how incredibly intelligent he is talking about Matt like no dude this dude's smart and they talk about his attention to detail but then he went on and said something that we all know but it just it didn't really click for me he talked about how it really shows in other words you can see that amazing attention to detail when you see the quarterback play for every team that he plays for and and again we've talked about that you know when he went to um, Atlanta as the quarterback coach it was the one year Matt Ryan was MVP it was his best year of his career one thing that it never dawned on me is when Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur went to L.A., it really helped Goff improve. That first year in 2017, so from 2016, he had a 43 overall grade. Horrific, right? It was like a, he was a laughing stock. Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur show up. He goes and gets a 75 overall grade. In the second year with those two guys, an 85 overall right? Really elite offense. And Goff was one of the better points of that offense. After Matt left, he's fallen off. The worst year with Matt LaFleur was a 75. Since then, he's at a 72. And this year, he's at a 70. Jared Goff has gone backwards tremendously since Matt LaFleur left. And remember, this is the second year with Matt LaFleur, right? 2017, Goff was much better, but it wasn't until the second year when he really took off. Aaron Rodgers, second year. People look at the Tennessee Titans, they're like, oh, look at Matt LaFleur's a terrible hire because look at how bad it, w- it was, you know, that offense and Mariota was no good. First of all, Mariota was, was very, very hurt. Second of all, I have a feeling in year two, considering Derrick Henry didn't start going until Matt LaFleur got there and he got the run game going in the second half of the year, what would have happened with Mariota if Matt LaFleur had stayed there for a second year? He comes back healthy, second year in the system with Derrick Henry at quarterback. 
or at, at running back. I just think Mario, I mean, not to say he would have been elite, but I mean, if, if they can do that with golf, I think he would have been much improved. Instead, we pull in Tannehill. Tannehill reaps in the benefit. And kudos to him for being great. I just, I think Matt LaFleur, or uh, Mariota kind of <laughs> got the shaft on that one. But Matt, Matt's special. You know, he really is. I mean, he's just hes just a rocket scientist. And you look at the offensive scheme and, and how brilliant the scheme itself is, but, but really the question for me was, you know, when I talked about coaches, there's there's different levels of coaches. You've got your sort of, sort of the low-end guys are the mimickers, I'll call them. I'm making these terms up. But they're guys who know how to run systems that they've been taught. Right? So I, I worked under Andy Reid, and I know the playbook, and I understand how to call plays within his system. But then I go to a new team, and I don't really know how to adapt it to the team. I just know how to try to mimic Andy Reid. Then you got the next level guys that know how to adapt. They, they, they understand the why is what it is. They understand the general philosophy behind it, and and because of that, we know how to take the players that we have and make the system work with what we have. We've learned, at the very least, that Matt LaFleur is that second level. The third level would be the innovators, and those guys are super rare. They write books about them. The guys that, that other people try to emulate, right? When we talk about the Shanahan system, I mean, if, if this ever becomes antiquated, and that's that's the reason why it's important, and I, I think that was Mike McCarthy's flaw. He was the second-level guy. He wasn't a mimicker. He understood how to take that system and make it work, but the problem is when the NFL evolves in a new direction, can you evolve with it, and he couldn't do it? He was still stuck in that system. Andy Reid is a guy that was similar to Mike McCarthy, but as the NFL evolved, clearly, look at the Chiefs. He has completely transformed into a modern-day NFL offense. He evolved. The question is going to be if, you know, depending on whether Matt LaFleur stays for a very long time or whether this is kind of short-lived, similar to, to GMs, right? I mean, Schneider was great, and now he's terrible. And Ted Thompson was great, and then it became kind of terrible. Whether or not you are here for a super, super long time is going to depend on whether you're able to adapt to the changing atmosphere within the NFL. Can you stay on the cutting edge? Understand where the NFL is going and stay one step ahead of it kind of a question for the future but but the the great thing is we learned that Matt LaFleur is that guy he doesn't run what Sean McVay runs it's a completely different offense he runs a similar style or or general framework of an offense but he's adapted it perfectly to the fact that he has Aaron Rodgers at quarterback Aaron Jones Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon at running back and when you look at the two back sets I, I I absolutely love it when Dillon and Jones are on the field and notice how it's like there's specific packages sometimes it's Aaron Jones, sometimes it's Dylan and Jones, and sometimes it's Jamal. Those are like the packages. He's building on what he has slowly. That's a new thing that he's developed. And every time you add on to it, it has to run with the same general philosophy, and that is we do the same thing. We're going to put Aaron Jones in motion, we've got Jamal standing here, and we're going to run some kind of a read option or whatever, either depending on what the defense does, we're either going to give it to A.J. Dillon or we're going to pass it, sometimes to Aaron Jones or, or whatever. It just depends where everybody is on the field. But again, the whole philosophy has to be there. You have to you can't just call one play. When when you see us line up with this, there has to be a whole system built around it. So that the defense doesn't know what you're gonna do. It can't just be a play. Because then as soon as you line up that way, they know what the play is. There has to be a whole thing built around this. In other words, I mean, even even as far as like setting it up, we're gonna run, we're gonna run, we're gonna run, because the next time we want you to think we're gonna run, and then we're gonna do this. So when you see a new package come out, I mean, there's a whole philosophy built around that. And so, again, it's great to see Matt LaFleur is the kind of guy that can do that. And, and, and it's successful. It's not like he's just, you know, like me drawing up some random stuff and it's like, well, that was stupid. Obviously, that doesn't work. 
it's not just flashy for the sake of flashy, you know, like, you know, Wildcat or, geez, what was that stupid, what was it, the Colts? Where they put, like, three guys way out to the left on the field and everybody else lined up way over here and they just got sacked right away. I, it's just like, some some of the stuff is like, you are not good at this whole innovation thing, are you? But it, it, the reason I bring that up is because there's a level of trust. This isn't luck. This this is a, a brilliant coach that is similar to Aaron Rodgers. I think he's just kind of on another level. He's already ahead of some of the guys that are the innovators within this system. Sean McVay's been running this for a long time. And, I mean, Matt LaFleur just shows up and, and kind of put on a clinic of how to run this offensive system. Granted, he probably has some better players. I mean, give Sean McVay, Aaron Rodgers, probably be able to do some special stuff. But it, it, it gives you confidence going forward when you look at, oh, man, I don't know how you're going to beat Tampa Bay, or I don't know how we're going to beat this team or that team. Because everything you need to be successful, the Packers have. That's why. It's not just the pieces, but it's the execution, right? You, again, go down the line of the pieces, the offensive line, the quarterback, the number one wide receiver, the lockdown corner, the pass rushers, all the key critical components where, again, you look at teams like Tennessee and say, I don't think they can do it because a team without a pass rush is just not going to be able to do it. Because if you're missing this one critical component, I just don't know if you can do it. The Packers have all the critical components and they have just the right guys calling the plays. That doesn't guarantee anything. But there's not that lack of, I don't think they can get over the hump. And again, that's not just short-term, that's long-term. That's not just 2020, we're talking 2021, 2022, 2023, at least as long as Aaron Rodgers is around. And then it's up to Gutekunst, who's done a brilliant job building the roster that we have, finding the next quarterback, whether that's Jordan Love or somebody else. Which again, we may already have that guy, which is why it always cracks me up when people get mad about Jordan Love. That's the one thing that's going to ruin the long-term success of this team, is if we can't find the next quarterback, he might already be on the team. That is the most important thing for the long-term success of this team, is finding the next quarterback. And Gutekunst tried to do that and may have done that. We It remains to be seen. And people are mad about that. Especially when the team is successful, the odds that a quarterback that is going to be able to carry on the successful tradition of this team is going to be available in the later half of the first round is basically zero. The fact that one of those quarterbacks that has that ability that is the perfect fit for the Matt LaFleur system and has the ability to sit and learn for several years so that we can get him up to speed. Everything is perfect. Whether or not it's, it's, it's the actual guy or not, I don't know, but it's the perfect scenario to make sure that this success doesn't end and people are complaining about that. It just baffles me because you'd rather have a wide receiver so that we can get maybe, maybe we're just a half a step better. That is so sh- shallow-minded. I'd rather our offense was just a half a tick better and then we just suck for 10 years. Wow. All right. Well, you know, that's that's your trajectory, I guess. I'd rather not go that route. That's not that wouldn't be my general philosophy as a GM. All in means, you know, let's let's get a half a percent better this year and then just not care about the future at all. Probably wouldn't be my thought on that, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Anyways, fantastic win from the Green Bay Packers. I mean, just another dominant performance. Again, you know, if, if we hyperanalyze this, we go back and we look at it and we say, you know, um, it just wasn't perfect. I'm not happy with this, that, or the other. It's a continuation of what's happened. Um, again, there was that blip in Carolina for the offense, but the offense since, jeez, I mean, there's been a couple blips, I guess. If you, But let's just pick a random spot here. Go back to week 11 against the Colts. The offense, 31, 41, 30, 31, 24. There's your blip. 40, 35, and then against the quote-unquote number one uh, defense in the league, 32. 
So, again, with the exception of that Carolina Panthers game, they have been over 30 points every single week since November 22nd. Um, then they had, you know, I mean, again, kind of blips mixed in. Jacksonville 24, but then 34 against San Francisco. 22 against the Vikings, not great. Then 35 against Houston. So it was kind of on and off and on and off for a while after the bye. Obviously the worst of which came against Tampa Bay. That was right after the bye. They were kind of getting their footing. It was bad game, good game, bad game, good game, bad game. But then it's just been completely consistent with, again, that one little blip in there. Not to mention this team started going 43-42, 37-30. Defensively, it's been even more consistent. I mean, if if you figure, you know, 24 has been kind of that magic number for me, where it seems like that's sort of a standard NFL score today. You know, over 24 is, is pretty decent. 24 is whatever. I think if you hold a team to 24, that's pretty good. But so, look, the Colts at 34 was the last big score. Since then, you got 25 for the Bears, 16 for the Eagles, 24 for the Lions, 16, 14, 16, 18. A team has not reached 20 points since December 13th against the Lions. 20 points! And then the game before that, 16 points to the Eagles, they wouldn't have even gotten to 10 if not for that 7-point Jalen Rager return. So again, you know, if you hyperanalyze it, you get front wide of the defense. Ah, stupid defense allowed. They lost by 14 points. 14. Remember when I talked about this defense and I said the only time they've given up more than 30 points was to the Buffalo Bills? They got over 30. That's only the second time all season they've allowed 30 points. And yeah, the Rams offense has been bad. Um, Arizona also kept them to 18. The Dolphins and the Giants kept them to 17. The 49ers to 16. The Seahawks kept them to 9. So they've had some bad games, but they've also scored 38, 37, 32, 30, 30, 27, 24, 20, you know, right? They've scored points. Point is, if this was a bad defense, I feel like they could have got more points. Five games this season, which is roughly a third of the season, they've gotten to 30 points. They scored 18. There's just not a lot to complain about here. Anyways, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll dig into some of these statistics because, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's all good news. And we'll talk a little bit about these games we got coming up and uh, we'll call it a day. I am planning on doing a highlight video. So if you haven't done it yet, Pack Daddy NFL, make sure you get over there. I was going to do a post game thing, but I don't know if I had because I got to still do a mock draft video. I don't have a lot of time for all this stuff. But if you could head over there, that'd be greatly appreciated. My goal was for Monday to reach 3,300 subscribers. I'm at 3,292, so I need eight more. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful. And again, if you want to support the podcast, uh, you can go to the Facebook group or just look in the comments, or the I keep calling it the comments section. We don't have a comments section on podcast. Check out the description. The description is basically nothing but a bunch of links if you need them. So feel free to utilize that to your heart's content. I probably should update that actually, but... Some of the stuff is there. Otherwise, just reach out, man. I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up with whatever you need. But let's take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I want to start off with some next-gen stats. I never really look at that, but there is some kind of fun and exciting things here, Um, especially considering not only were the Packers better in every metric or or just good in all these metrics, but the Rams were pretty bad in all of them. The first one would be the passing and the complete inability. You know, you look at how the Rams did a good job of kind of taking away the big play, and I've I've been saying for a long time, I mean, it's kind of common knowledge among Packer fans, the announcers didn't seem to really notice it but the Rams aren't the only team that try to take away the big play the Packers do that as well um, Aaron Rodgers did struggle with the deep ball. I thought the accuracy wasn't great from Aaron Rodgers to be honest yesterday he seemed to be a little bit off I know they talked about wind coming out of the tunnel maybe that had something to do with a couple of those passes um, I'm kind of hoping that there was a, a little element of shaking off the rust from the bye week and that uh, you know they come out next week a little bit more crisp because there were a couple things here and there where it was like, man, you know, the drops and those. Granted, that would have just made it even a bigger domination. But I think, you know, when we talk about either the Saints or Tampa and obviously the Super Bowl, you got to be able to make those plays. You need some better passes, converting those first downs, getting, I mean, there were, I mean, even that, that pass to Devontae, which was a first down, one of them, that, that probably could have been a touchdown if he threw it out in front of him rather than way behind him and made him adjust to that path. But regardless, you look at deep passes, um, the longest pass from Jared Goff was 28.9 yards. The longest from Rodgers was 40.4 yards. I don't know how this is possible (laughs) looking at their statistics. But um, according to this, Aaron Rodgers was two of, what, eight on passes for 91 yards and a touchdown. Doing some math in my head because they're showing the different zones. Jared Goff, which apparent, which I'm telling you right now is incorrect, but zero for zero for zero yards on passes beyond 20 yards. I don't know how that's possible when his longest pass was 29 yards. In fact, I remember specifically several passes that I believe were beyond 20 yards, but it's um, what Next Gen Stats has to say. Bottom line, the Packers defense did a pretty good job taking away the deep ball, right? There was that, I believe, second drive where there were two really big passes. Outside of that, not much. Now, unfortunately, there were way too many eight and nine yard passes. Uh, that is frustrating. Way too many, you know, second and ones. 
But the great thing is, and, and, and again, the general philosophy for the Green Bay Packers is eventually we're going to get you in that third and long, and, and it's going to hurt. And it's true, and we saw that. We saw you know, there was one dropped pass by the Rams that just ruined everything. That one drop pass means you're not in second and short. You're in second and long, and now what do you do? Right? You had the tipped pass by uh, Preston. You had the near interception by Clubby. Lots of pressure from Kenny Clark and, and Rashawn Gary. Sacks by Zadarius. Eventually, something's going to happen. And again, as frustrating as it is to give up things like that, Pettin is just, he's dogmatic. He doesn't want to give up that style of play. And, and again, it's hard to argue. Look at the point total. Yeah, it's frustrating giving up the yardage. It's frustrating giving up the first downs. But the points are how you win games. You don't tally up the yards at the end of the game or, or first downs at the end of the game and see who won. You tally up points. Not rushing yards. Not, you know, first and eights. I mean, eight-yard passes on first down. I don't know what first and eights even means. So, I mean, Packers did, I think this is just incorrect, but Packers did do a very good job. I think from our standpoint, because it's it's frustrating watching another team run well, and we'll, we'll get to the more specific stats in a little bit here, but just this little snippet that they have here. Cam Akers, you know, you just feel like he kind of dominated the game and the Packers need to do better. He had 18 carries, 90 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, 90 yards is not that spectacular. Again, he did a good job. He's obviously a very powerful runner. He was really hard to bring down. I mean, he's he, he was a second-round draft pick, I think. He's a talented dude, no question. But, but they, I mean, 90 yards is not dominating, especially when you're having a hard time passing the football. I mean, you, you if you want to win by running the ball, you, you better be looking at, you know, what, 25 carries for 175 yards or something. This 18 carries for 90 yards nonsense ain't going to cut it. And just looking at Aaron Jones, who's only one of our three running backs, 14 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. He had four less carries, nine more yards, and also had a touchdown. And that's just one of the guys. We got three others that contributed. So again, as much as you look at it and say, man, they did a good job running, yeah, but not as good as our guys did. Uh, receiving, um, again, we'll look at statistics in a minute here, but according to Next Gen Stats, looking at separation, um, they had a couple guys that did a good job getting some separation. Two guys were over three yards, and I believe this is at the point of reception. So this can get, yeah, at the point of a catch or incompletion. So it can get a little bit skewed. Like if you have one reception for 15 yards, you're only looking at that one play. And if you had five yards of separation, then your average is five yards. It would be nice if they did a good job of doing this just on a play-to-play basis. Every single passing play, how much general separation. But it's, it's hard to tell. At, at what point are you gauging? I guess max se- separation? I don't know. But anyways, uh, Reynolds and Woods were both over three yards uh, at the point of reception. 3.28 for Woods, 3.68 for Reynolds. Uh, Devontae Adams, 3.6 yards. So he would have been the second best. But we also had Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 3.9 yards, 3.96 yards. The brain is just not cutting it today. A little bit of a headache brewing here. I should probably get that taken care of before it turns into a migraine. 3.96 yards would be number one for the Rams, but then we have Robert Tunyon, 5.76 yards at the point of reception. Absolutely incredible. Alan Lazard, only 1.87 yards, not getting a ton of of, uh, separation, but, you know, his general style. And, And listen, first of all, Two yards of separation is wide open in the NFL. But but even so, Alan Lazard, um, he's a big body guy. You know, he can handle sort of those 50-50 or even just those half a step. You know, he's got the big body, big frame. That That's plenty for him. But uh, Equinemius 2.84 would have been the last. The average, by the way, is 2.87. So Equinemius was basically average. Lazard was pretty well under, but everybody else way over. And again, that's impressive because this is, it's not just a good defense, right? When I talk about, man, the... 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Saints also have really good defenses. They do not have, and, I, and I've said this consistently, nobody has a better secondary in terms of the corners than the Rams. So I'm worried about the defensive front of Tampa, the pass rush for New Orleans, but the secondary, not saying they're bad, but but the Rams are it. And if you got guys just wide open for the Green Bay Packers against the Rams, I mean, it, I don't know, I don't know what else to say. Um, and then finally for the game here, they've got defensive pass rush and how far away was everybody from the quarterback at the point in which he threw it. And this is impressive on both sides of the ball. Let's start with the Rams. Um, Morgan Fox was the best guy on the team. He was 4.52 yards away from the quarterback at the point in which Aaron Rodgers threw. 4.52 yards. Aaron Donald, 4.23 yards away. if, If I had more time and interest, I'd go back every single week and see if he's ever been that far away from a quarterback on average, ever. Because the league average is about four and a half yards. He was at 4.23, so he was about average in this game. Then you got Brockers was 5.06 yards away, and then Leonard Floyd um, was erased in this game. And I kind of mentioned he's a little bit overhyped. He's not as good as people make him out to be, but um, still an incredible performance. You saw him terrorize the Seattle Seahawks the week before, 5.67 yards away from the quarterback. I have a feeling he lines up closer than that. <laughs> so he's not, you know, the, the he's losing ground when the quarterback goes into his drop, and he's not gaining any of that ground back. 5.67 yards. The lowest of the four guys highlighted here for the Packers was 4.78, which is pretty close to the league average. Kenny Clark, 4.6 yards, right about average. Um, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I feel like he did a great job of creating consistent pressure. It'll be interesting to see how he grades out. Again, it's, it's on a... You know, if you do it five times, it's going to stick out in your mind. But obviously, he threw about what I don't know, lots of times. Then you got Zadarius, 3.75 yards on average, well above average. Um, and then the most dominant performance here, at least in terms of constantly terrorizing the quarterback, was Rashawn Gary. On average, about 3.13, not about. It's exactly he's about three yards away, 3.13 yards away from the quarterback on average. That's pretty impressive, man. That's that's Zadarius and Rashawn were just in his face all day long, and I, I feel like I, Preston obviously wasn't as good, but he he does such a good job of just pushing that guy straight back into the quarterback. I think the biggest thing, and and I said this last week, they just did such a good job getting the ball out of their hand because it felt like every time he had to hold it, these guys were getting there, even if it was just pushing the tackle back into the quarterback, which it's so impressive how they can do that almost every single play. To take these 300-pound offensive tackles and push them straight back into the quarterback on a every single play. That's ridiculous. And I swear they can do it. That whole speed to power thing, they're, they're just so good at, you know, press to the outside, you know, speed rush to the outside, and then turn into the chest and just blast them straight back with those long arms. And the only reason there's not more pressure, again, is because the ball's always out. I mean, half of these plays, it looks like the pass rush isn't even trying. I mean, they're barely even getting to the offensive lineman before the ball's out. It's just an exercise in futility at this point. They're just getting tired for no reason. But man, anytime he held onto that ball, there was somebody there. And so that's that's what's exciting is you start looking at different styles of, of teams, right? They're not all get the ball out quick, quick, quick. They're not all the Bears and the Rams. Eventually, you're going to get a team that likes to hold onto the ball a little bit longer. You know, Drew Brees does get the ball out of his hand pretty quickly. I don't think Tom does as much. And, and, and even in and, and both of those cases, both teams want to hold onto the ball at some point. They're not going to want to be dictated to the way that the Rams and the Bears are, where they're just so scared and, and, and honestly inept that they feel they have to just take what's given to them. They're, they're going to want to puff out their chest and say, no, we're going to take something. That's when the, the pass rush is going to have some opportunity. We're going to trust our offensive line. Our guy's going to sit in the pocket. We're going to make some big plays here. 
So I, I think they're going to get some more opportunities. There's going to be a lot of dink and dunk and, and taking what's what's there, but they're not going to want to just play that style of game. They're going to want to come out and, and show that they're the better team. And again, that's uh, it's going to suck for them a little bit. Um, and I know there's only been one game or, or two games, I guess, so far this postseason, but just looking at some of the stats for this week, fastest sack of the day was Zadarius Smith, 3.27 seconds. And, and again, that's what they got to do just to get there. Uh, you've got Aaron Jones had the most remarkable run of the day. They've got, uh, you know, it's it's how many yards you got compared to the expected. The second best run of the day was Devin Singletary on a 12-yard run. He was expected to get three. In other words, there was a guy that should have tackled him right there. He ended up getting uh, 12, so he got nine yards over expected. Aaron Jones, he had a 60-yard rush with five yards expected for a, for a net gain of 55 unexpected yards. He does such a good job with that, and you know, I saw somebody in the Facebook group say, you know, we need to stop with this AJ Dillon stuff because we we've got some really talented uh, running backs, and I I agree and disagree. Uh, I thought AJ Dillon did a fantastic job. I think he's a great running back. I understand that you know it's a little silly to be super hyped about him. I think it's just fun to be hyped about him, but no question. I mean, they're they're all so good. They they really are all three of them, and and it's fun because they're all good in very different ways. And I I respect the way that they use the three different guys in different ways. It got to the point where I I you could kind of call out who the running back was going to be based on the situation, and it, it it they're just good in different ways. You know, Jamal seems to be the straight up power guy, which is a little frustrating. I think AJ Dillon needs to better utilize it. Not that was my big critique of him. If you watched my video of our draft picks. After we made them, I made some videos, put them up on the, the Packernet Podcast Facebook page and whatnot. It's also on the YouTube channel. You can find it there. But the biggest issue is he doesn't seem to convert the power all that well. I mean, there's sort of a natural amount of power that just comes from being big. But you don't really see him muscling people. I mean, he kind of gets kind of gets blasted a little bit once in a while, even on that play where he got hurt. I mean, he got stopped right in his tracks and then got flown way off his feet. I just think he needs to do a better job. Like, you know, Jamal is not that big of a guy, and he packs a serious punch. And, and that's something you can teach, right? Pad level and keep your legs, you know, churning and all that stuff. Um, there are some highlights of him. I, I put that in the video as well of him getting way underneath somebody, scooping them and running right through them. So he can do it. He just, he's got a little ways to go on that. But the thing is, he, he's not just a power guy. The funny thing is, he's kind of a speed guy. I think he's our fastest running back on top of being really, really big. So, you know, I mean, if, if you could predict there was going to be a hole there, you kind of want A.J. Dillon to be your guy. Jamal is, is, is the, you know, the, the power back, but he also, you know, when he finds a hole, he does a good job. Aaron Jones is, is the magician. He makes something out of nothing. He's the guy you trust in all these situations where you, even when you feel like you need a power guy, I mean, if there's a hole there, even if there's not a hole there, he just finds a way to get yards when there's just nothing there. So, again, there's there's just three different guys that have three different styles, and they all contribute in very different ways, but they're all just amazing to watch for what they bring to the table. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I definitely would agree that, you know, A.J. Dillon is raw still, right? The, the great thing about Jamal and Aaron Jones is that they've just they just got it down, man. And, and Jamal has taken such a big step. He used to be just a plotter, right? Three yards and down. And he does that on occasion, right? He'll just smash straight ahead. But he's done such a good job of, of growing in terms of finding the hole and, and just making some great positive gain. Just all three of them are, are spectacular. And, and I you know, I still want to see more A.J. Dillon. I love that he's out there. I hope that he's okay. okay. Um, definitely concerned about him and especially um, – Mason Crosby, that could be pretty catastrophic if he ends up being seriously hurt and we can't can't kick, right? If we can't kick field goals and, and we're going for two instead of extra points, obviously we didn't do a good job going for two. 
unless we got JK ready to go, but you know, you almost like your odds of going for two at that at that point. We'll see, but yeah, it's just it's it's such a great three-headed monster. But anyways, as we rip through these specific stats here, Aaron Rodgers 23 of 36 for 296 yards and two touchdowns. Really not a bad day. The completion percentage not as high as you'd really like it to be only because you know that he left some on the field, right? Some of those passes, even the ones that were caught, were a little bit inaccurate. They were not where they needed to be. I know Lazard dropped that one, but for the most part, most of these were were errant passes, right? They just weren't really on target. And so, again, I'm, I'm hoping that after this bye week was kind of a shake-the-rust-off kind of situation, and, and next week they come in a little bit more locked in. But still, statistically, I mean, he's not a big yardage guy. He's never really been big on on getting tons of yards. If if he pushes 300 yards, that's a good day. 296 would be uh, the fifth best day he's had all year passing. Had four games over 300. And obviously adding the two touchdowns, I mean, that, that is what he does well. And then you get to the running backs, which I just, I, I love A.J. Dillon. Six carries, 27 yards is a 4.5-yard average. Um, he had some big runs, including that nine-yard run. I mean, he just, again, you get this guy a little bit of space, and he's just incredible. That that cutback, I mean, that, that, that just goes to show the potential. And again, I agree, he's raw, he's got some stuff to learn. But you look at the, the size and the speed and the agility. For him to be able to make that cutback and come the other way is just inhuman. And so he's another one that's, you know, I mean, the Packers love freaks. They just do, and, and it it doesn't always pan out, right? MVS is kind of a freak, and, and, you know, I mean, he has his moments or whatever, but clearly it's it's not, he's not elite. He's he's good in, in spurt. But, I mean, Darnell Savage, elite player. Rashawn, elite player. A.J. Dillon, elite player. I mean, just freakish athletes. And uh, you, you start to see the potential of it, and I don't know, it just... I, I, I've been saying for years I'm tired of the Packers doing that because, you know, I just want good athletes. But, man, with this coaching staff really getting these guys, these guys the best, the, the, the most of their potential out, I just you keep getting freaks, I guess, man. I don't know. But then you got Jamal, 12 carries, 65 yards, 5.4 average, had an 11-yard run. Aaron Jones, 14 carries, 99 yards, 7.1 average, and a touchdown, 60 was his long. And really, again, I mean, with all these guys, the more opportunities you give them, the better their stats are. We saw that with A.J. Dillon. I mean, when he only gets three or four carries, the stats look terrible. You give him an entire game, he just tears it up. Aaron Jones, I think, going into halftime was the, he had like three-something per carry. It wasn't doing all that great, but you just keep giving him the ball. Eventually, he rips off a 60-yard run, and he's got a 7.1-yard average and a touchdown. And that's stupid pop-up videos. That's just true of all these guys. The more opportunities you give them, the more they're going to reward you. Right? They might have a couple bad runs. They're going to have a couple where that just goes nowhere, but you give them... Give any one of these guys 15 carries, and they're gonna they're gonna make a lot out of it. And none none of them had 15 carries. 14 was the maximum. I mean, it, in this game, it seems like if you give them 10 carries, they'll they'll make the most of it. Jamal and had 12. Aaron Jones had 14. AJ Dillon only had six. And again, I'm, I guarantee you, you give AJ Dillon 14 carries, he would have had some big runs. Just a fantastic group. Um, on the receiving side, Aaron Jones had one carry for 14 yards. Equinemius had one. I mean reception. Equinemius one reception for 27 yards. MVS four receptions for 33 yards. Only 12 yards was his longest. Weren't really able to get him going in the deep game, but it's nice to see him get mixed in with some of the shorter passes. Tunyon four receptions for 60 yards. Four targets, four receptions, 60 yards is worth noting. 33 yards was his longest. Alan Lazard eight targets, four receptions, 96 yards. He was our deep guy with 24 yards per reception. He also added a touchdown. And then Devontae you know, I mean, the statistics aren't 
through the roof, but he had nine receptions, which is a lot, 66 yards and a touchdown. So um, he obviously wasn't erased. And again, it'll be interesting to look at how many receptions he had against Jalen Ramsey. But again, it, it doesn't matter because he's not just going to be manned up against Jalen Ramsey. They're going to put Devontae in situations where, I mean, sometimes it's just really soft coverage and it's just an automatic throw. Some of these were screen throws to Devontae. And then sometimes he's going to be matched up against linebackers and safeties and other corners or whatever. And it just pr- provides a better matchup. So, you know, shutting down Dev- the, the whole narrative of shutting down Devontae was kind of silly. Again, I, I don't think he destroyed Jalen Ramsey. We'll, we'll have to see how many receptions and yards he got. But at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter because they're going to find a way to get him the ball. That was always the reality. Defensively, tackling machine was Chris Barnes. Ten total tackles, including a pass deflection. That was the missed uh, interception, I believe. Chandon with eight. Kevin King with eight, obviously, because they were throwing at him all day long. After that, Amos with five. Rashawn with three. Pass deflections, you had the one from Chris Barnes. Preston Smith actually had two pass deflections. I only remember the one. Uh, ESPN's quarterback hits, and we'll see what PFF says. I know they got different statistics and whatnot, and they also do... Uh, hurries and everything else that I'll be more interested in looking at. But uh, quarterback hits, Preston Smith with one, Kenny Clark with two, Rashawn Gary with three um, sacks. Rashawn Gary, they gave one and a half, Kenny Clark one and a half, Zadarius with one, uh, an additional tackle for a loss for Jair Alexander. Obviously, we remember that play. That guy is just something else, man. And it, it really just kind of highlights for me what I would like to see a little bit more out of Kevin King, aside from just better coverage. But, you know, they're throwing the short passes over to that side, the bigger, it's not just that it's short passes, right? I mean, Jair was playing off, and that was obviously a screen to an off corner, but the point is, Kevin King has a lot of speed. He's really fast. There's no reason he can't also be shot out of a cannon on a screen pad, but he's so scared of missing a tackle, he just hangs back. Jair isn't scared, man. He just goes out and gets the guy. He could have done what Kevin does and just hangs back and like, whoop, 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 whoop. No, just go get him. You don't have to give up those big plays. Um, and then finally, special teams. I mean, it, it's just it's just bad, man. It's so bad. You know, we had the botched snap, which meant a uh, missed extra point, which I feel like maybe pushed them toward going for two more often, which means we messed that up, and now we're down two points that we should be up, which then the Rams go for two and convert, and now they're within a score when they shouldn't be. Instead of the Packers being up by three, they end up, you know, being up, I mean, up by 10, they're up by seven. The, I mean, the kickoff, the, the kickoffs are bad because I feel like where where is everybody? They get an automatic 20 yards before anybody even gets there, and then if they tackle them right away, it's like, okay, cool, at least they're at the 20. But, I mean, at least 15 yards before anybody even shows up on the screen. That's ridiculous. That's nonsense. Especially when you factor in the way that this defense works is if you want to dink and dunk, that's fine. you got to dink and dunk your way all the way down the field. Well, not if they start at the 45. They can dink dink and dunk their way to a field goal in about four plays. So that's, that's a nightmare. I think the returning was even worse. Tavon Austin is... I don't know what he was, but he's not that anymore. I, I, I don't know if he was just playing scared to fumble. Like, that was his biggest thing. He was just really scared to fumble. But that was some of the worst returning I've ever seen in my life. First of all, he's he's standing there to catch a return, and it goes over his head. I, maybe he was drunk. It's possible he was he was intoxicated in this game or high or something. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how an NFL player who's been in the league as long as he has, who has done kick returning for as long as he has, is standing there ready to catch a pass and it goes clear over his head or, or you know, catch a, a return, whatever, a kick. I don't know how that happens. And so we end up starting on what, like the six because he just didn't know where the ball was going to be. And then his returns, it was like he, he, he looked slow. Like he wasn't even trying. He just wanted to not fumble. So, I mean, I, I can respect that. As good as the offense was, just don't fumble. But 
I just, it's just it's beyond bad. It's so bad. The kick returns were not any better. Ridiculously slow. The first guy there brings him down every time. There's no agility. There's no creativity. There's just it's the absolute lowest of expectations. Just don't fumble. But the field position is going to be bad. And and, and this was the, the Packers look significantly worse than the Rams on special teams. And the Rams have one of the worst special teams units. I mean that just goes to show how bad this is when we get embarrassed by their special teams units. By the way, the Saints have the fifth best special teams unit in uh, in football. Tampa, fortunately, is ranked 29th via PFF, so almost as bad as the Packers. But that'll be that'll be a big thing if the Saints end up winning and coming here, which is still my favorite option. But um, yeah, that's that that could be a, a field. Fl- I mean that that we again we lost to the Colts because of special teams. Could easily lose to the Saints because of special teams, even if the Packers are the better team in that game. So I mean that's. That's got to get addressed. I mean, it's just completely unacceptable. Menenga is is doing absolutely nothing to fix this. I mean, the fact that Coach Hahn is is predicting a a blocked kick because of just obviously bad scheme. I mean, they're doing things and and Menenga's not adjusting to it. He's he's begging to have a kick blocked, a field goal blocked, whatever. Just I mean, he's just not seeing stuff. It's it's really kind of pathetic. So, I mean, that that's a no-brainer. He has to go, and, and somebody else needs to get called up or brought in from somewhere. I, I don't know, but wildly unacceptable. I don't, I don't honestly know why he was brought back this year. Anyways, as far as the upcoming games, and again, I've, I've kind of talked about it a little bit uh, yesterday, but my thought is, and, and let's see, I don't know if it's still 10 points. I don't feel like looking it up. The Chiefs were 10-point favorites. I don't know if I like that quite so much. Um, my thought generally on the Browns and the Chiefs is that the Browns have what it takes to win. And the Chiefs have been playing bad enough football where if the Browns come out firing and the Chiefs come out a little bit flat, they could lose the game. And don't get me wrong, I hope they do. I mean, it, you know, I, for, for the sake of, of Cleveland, you know, again, I respect their fans. They've hung in there. They're a loyal fan base. They deserve it. I used to like the Chiefs, but they're so good now, I've, I'm already put them into Patriots mode where it's like, all right, I'm tired of them. I'm tired of everybody talking about them. I'm tired of everybody talking about Pat Mahomes and all this nonsense. I'm ready for them to be done and embarrassed and everybody shut up. But I just feel like... Like I've been saying for a while, in postseason football, it really comes down to consistency and just really being intelligent and playing mistake-free football. And and the Browns are not that team. The Browns have so much firepower, but they just they're just inconsistent and they're they're volatile. And you know they may come out and jump out to a lead and just play some great football. But I just feel like the Chiefs are that team that are just going to keep coming. They don't quit. They just keep coming for you. They're going to find ways. They're going to make adjustments. They're going to start to pick you apart. You know, the Browns could be up 14 points by halftime, and I still think the Chiefs will probably come back in the second half and methodically pick them apart and come back and win this game. They do such a good job with adjustments offensively and defensively, and again, they're just going to keep coming, and, and eventually you're going to make a mistake, and it's just going to blow this thing open. So we'll see what happens. Um, I don't necessarily love, and I forgot to adjust my picks. I hope I picked the right teams. I think I did. I think I picked the Packers and the Bills. Sure enough, got six picks right. Yeah, it's ten and a half points. I, I think I'm going to go with Cleveland just because I don't like the spread so much. I get it, and I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City wins by 20. But I just, there's just so many different outs here, you know? I mean, if Cleveland jumps out to a lead and Kansas City comes back and wins, they're probably not going to win by 11 points. There's also the possibility that the Chiefs come out a little flat and the, the Browns even win the game. So I'm probably going to go Cleveland against the spread, but I do think Kansas City pulls this one out. Just because, again, they're... The playoffs are a different animal. I think the Chiefs are a playoff team. I don't know that Cleveland is. They're a talented team. They can beat anybody, but they can lose to anybody. And I just don't think that goes long term. And when we talk about, 
you know, you can win one game in the playoffs or you're going to win back-to-back games in the playoffs. And now we're talking about the Chiefs, one of the better playoff teams, you know, the, the, the least volatile team. I just, I don't think so. As far as Tampa and New Orleans, again, Tampa's a scary team. And, and you look at the quarterbacks, Tom Brady's playing better than any quarterback in football right now. And that that is a serious X, X factor. Um, obviously, they're playing in, in New Orleans, which, you know, you would say is advantage New Orleans. But you put Tom Brady in a dome, it's not going to hurt him. So I'm, I'm definitely a little worried about this one. But again, you look at Tampa Bay's record against quality opponents, they don't do well. And the, the Saints have already beaten them twice. You know, Tampa Bay has lost five games as much as, you, you, you know, we put these teams on a pedestal and say, you know, I don't know how they're going to lose. They've, they've lost plenty of games. And, and, you know, if we do the little correlation thing that I like to do, the offensive points, there's a 100% correlation. Usually it's not this direct. 25 points. If they score 25 points, they're currently 12-0. and When they don't reach 25 points, they are 0-5. The Saints have a very good defense. They have not reached 25 points against the Saints once, obviously. They scored three against the Saints once, 19 against the Bears, 23 against the Saints, 24 against the Chiefs, 24 against the Ram. They lost all those games. Defensively, there's almost no correlation. Um, I mean, they're undefeated when they keep a team under 20, but, I mean, that's about it. After that, it's kind of shaky. So it's it's all down to the offense. It's this, you know, number three overall offense. Can they get to 25 points against the Saints? And, and, and is that even good enough? Because they got to 23, I think, the one time, but the Saints scored 34. So, I mean, that's the general rule. You got to get to 25, and then you got a pretty good shot. But, I mean, the Saints have put up some serious points against them. So, I mean, it's an uphill battle for the 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 Bucks because it's a very good opponent. You know, they, they've done a good job picking on teams that are not very good, but Tom Brady and this offense have struggled. Struggled against the Rams, good defense. Struggled against the Chiefs. Chiefs have a top 10 defense. Struggled against the Saints. Saints have a good defense. The Bears, the Saints, these are five teams with top 10 defenses, and they couldn't beat them. Teams they beat, the Giants, not a good defense. Vikings, one of the worst defenses. Broncos, terrible defense. Panthers, bad defense. Washington, eh, Washington does have a good defense. Atlanta, bad defense. Packers, at the time, terrible defense, right? That didn't start until the second half of the season. Chargers, bad defense. Falcons, terrible defense. Raiders, bad defense. Panthers, bad defense. Detroit, bad defense. Outside of Washington in the playoffs, I don't think they've beaten a top 10 defense. All Granted, this was the last game they played. But it's a big question mark. The Saints, obviously, you can't necessarily say the exact same thing because they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers twice, right? So in terms of, well, they haven't beat anybody. Well, we know without even looking at it, they beat Tampa twice. Um, I think the the big question here is going to be probably the defense for the Saints because it's it's much more volatile. First of all, the Saints have not scored less than 21 points all season, which is pretty incredible. The lowest they've scored is 21 points, and they've done that three times. And they are... 2-1 and one when they've reached 21 points. So again, there's, there's not a lot of correlation. Um, they get to 30 points half the, the year, which is pretty crazy that they have the fifth best offense considering what I'm looking at right now. But half of their games have gotten to at least 30 points. They reached 52 against the Vikings. I, I, it's just, it's not setting up to be a great matchup for, for Tampa. As much as I look at the individual players and components and all these things, and I, I like Tampa, it just, when you look at the breakdown of these things, the things that Tampa needs and doesn't want and all that, um, I mean, when, when the Saints score more than 30 points, they're undefeated. But, I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? The biggest thing is going to be the defense. And it kind of lines up perfectly with, with Tampa Bay. When, the, when a team scores less than 24 points, the Saints are undefeated when they allow less than 24 points. So, so 25 for – Tampa wants to reach 25. The Saints want to keep you under 24. That's going to be kind of the magic zone in there. 
So if this is a slow-going game and there's not a high score, that's that's playing to the Saints' advantage. They are 9-0 and when the defense allows less than 24 points. They are 4-4 four and four when a team reaches just 24. So clearly they become average when the defense just gives up average amounts of points, which kind of just goes to show that, that this is kind of a defensive-driven team while at the same time having a very good offense. It's just the Saints are just good, man. They're, they're just... I don't think they get enough credit for, for as good as they are. Granted, Breeze is kind of a, a problem, and he's been very inconsistent, but um, they're just they're a talented team. I guess I don't know who I'd rather face. <laughs> I don't like Tampa. I don't like the matchup with Tampa, largely because one of the, they, they are the hardest team to run against, and when the Packers can't run the ball, it really complicates everything. The entire premise behind the system is that you know, the, the run game and the pass game are married together. When you can't run the ball, it just kind of ruins everything. And so I think that would be a problem. Not that it's easy to run against the Saints. The Saints are the fourth best team in terms of stopping the run. And again, this is why, you know, if, if they can just win next week, you're talking about teams that are nowhere near as good defensively. You know, Buffalo has, has been doing a really good job lately, but uh, the Chiefs and the Browns, you know, as good as they may be, it's not as like really, really tough to beat uh, the defenses in the AFC. They're much stronger on the offensive side. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, again, my current preference is that the Saints win and that the Saints come here. I think Drew Brees is is going to be. He does much worse in cold weather than I think Tom Brady does, having come from New England. He's a little bit more used to how to play in the cold and with uh, deflated footballs and all that. You know, because of the cold weather, he, he's, he's used to it. Breeze is not. He doesn't do as well. They're a dome team. Unfortunately, it's not. It's still not supposed to be freezing cold, but we are talking about 20s instead of 30s, so it will be a lot colder. Um, and I just kind of like our chances because I feel like the Packers are going to be able to operate every phase of the game. And so it really just comes down, I feel like against the Saints, it's strength against strength, and it's may the best man win. I feel like the problem with Tampa Bay is that they're going to, cause us to not be able to do what we want to do and that's going to kind of derail things and I just I don't want that I'd rather have it just be strength against strength but let the best man win because I because I think (laughs) the Packers win (laughs) by the way I almost forgot I promised someone I'd give him a shout out because he asked and I said okay but Packer underscore nation 12 on Instagram I was talking to him a little bit yesterday he was hoping that I could give him a little bit of a shout out and I said you know what I'm in a good mood Packers just won I'll give you the shout out. So after you follow the Packernet podcast on Instagram, maybe swing by Packer underscore Nation Twelve. Show the guy a little bit of love. I'm assuming it's a guy. I don't know. It's mostly guys. I'm just gonna say guy. If you're not a guy, don't get offended about it. Don't be stupid. You're in the minority. I'm sorry. I can't help that. A thousand people message me. One of them is a female. Cry about it. My my YouTube literally says 100% male. <laughs> <laughs> because it's such a small fraction of females that watch my video. It just is like, eh, it's 100. Don't get mad at me. Talk to your female friends and ask them why they're not watching my YouTube video. And I'll stop calling everybody a guy. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. We get another glorious week of talking about the Green Bay Packers and their upcoming matchup. Hopefully we get several weeks of this. But um, at the end of today, we'll find out who the opponent is. Uh, PFF, I've been hitting refresh on here to see if we can get a little bit of a glimpse. Let me try it one more time. It's early in the morning. These guys are probably all sleeping still. Uh, no dice, so we'll have to save that entirely for tomorrow. Actually, tell you what, um, Cheese and Packers Facebook group, Twitter, um, and possibly 
Instagram if we can get that coordinated. If you want to see some of these statistics before the game, as soon as they come out, I'm going to be rattling them off like crazy. So make sure you're following in one of those places. You'll be able to see some cool graphics kind of illustrating some of the insights from that. And then if you don't want to do that, just check in tomorrow and we'll go over in depth everything that they saw and some more of the statistics and grades and all that kind of stuff. And again, I'm planning on getting probably by the end of today a highlight video of the Packers and the Rams. So make sure you're following Pack Daddy NFL on YouTube. Otherwise, have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.